0: y'all for being here this morning. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, beautiful September day and that love nice fall in Colorado. Nice cool nights, nice warm days. It's awesome time uh, to, uh, to live in this state. <clears throat> it's a real blessing. We are in the middle of a uh, series entitled Life-Changing Attitudes, taken from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where we're to be transformed, we're to be changed from the inside out, uh, allowing God to uh, make our minds different, not not just letting them just do whatever it is that the world wants us to do, but conforming to a pattern uh, that is different than the world. And um, this morning I want us to, to look at a, uh, a trait, uh, a characteristic, a uh, characteristic, that has been, I want to say, a little bit, uh, a little bit diluted, uh, in a lot of ways, um, from by the world and uh, by its thinking. And um, first, Justin, you can find that slide for me—the one that says uh, which of these sets of values best characterizes Christ, best characterizes Jesus. I don't know if you can see these or not, but I want you to look at them for a minute. <clears throat> Column one has a, a list of. Of character traits and column two has a list of character traits as well and um, if you were to characterize Jesus Christ which of these sets of values best characterize Jesus column one competence or love um, power or communication achievement or relationships goal-oriented in, in column one or harmony in column two self-sufficient in column one or community in column two success or or cooperation, results, or nurturing. If you had to choose which one you would characterize Christ as being in, how many of you would would, would put him in, in column number one? Either nobody's voting or you all think he's in column two. How many of you would put him in, in column two? Most of you? Okay. It's it's funny that, uh, that most of us would put him in column number two. And he, let me tell you why. <clears throat> this list actually isn't from the Bible. Um, this list actually comes from a book entitled Men Are From Women, or wen- oh, Men Are From Women. Men are from Mars and uh, Women Are From Venus by John Gray. And uh, this is a stereotypical list of traits that characterize men versus women. And obviously, it's stereotypical. Everybody has different traits and different ideas and different things like that. But in most cases, men are more on the left side. Women are more on the right side. And so when I when I use this as an example, I want you to understand that it's not... I don't want you to get offended and say, oh, I'm, you know, the church is saying that women are not competent. No, that's not what we're saying at all. I just want to use this as an illustration because there's a lot of things that we look at in the Bible... And we, we hear a term like humility, the, the, the uh, trait that we're going to look at today, and it's, it's diluted or it's changed. It's not, it's not what God had intended it to be. And so as we go through uh, this today, I want us to really look at the biblical definition of humility and take it on um, as that. So tell me this. Can you go back to that screen, Justin? Tell me this. Was Jesus incompetent? No. No, he wasn't at all. Was there any power in the things that Jesus did? Absolutely. Was there any achievement yes. in Christ? Did Christ get some things accomplished? Absolutely. How about goal oriented? Was Jesus goal oriented? Yeah. He, many times he would walk right by somebody that they were trying to get him to fix to get his goal accomplished, right? Uh, how about self sufficient? Well, being God, I guess. Jesus Christ was sort of self-sufficient, wasn't he? How about successful? Yeah, Jesus was successful. And what, did he have results? Yeah, we're still here 2,000 some odd years later, still worshiping a Christ that obviously got some results, right? So if you had to put him in a place, you know, most of us would pick column two. But in reality, Jesus Christ is just as much in column one as he is in column two. So I want us to look at, at some things about humility today that might do the same thing for us. Rather than thinking about humility from a worldly standpoint, let's think about humility from a godly and from a biblical standpoint. We want humility, oftentimes people want humility, but they just don't want a lot of it, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't hear fathers praying that their sons grow up to be humble. This is not something that happens very often, right? Humility is not something that is, that is very good when you're in a job interview. Yeah, I'm no good. Yeah, we want to hire you because you're humble. It just doesn't happen, does it? That's just not something that takes place. Humility is a life-changing attitude that really is an archaic avenue to achievement. And I want us to look at that this morning. We have four key passages that we want to look at. So get your Bibles out. If uh, you have a hard time finding things in your Bible. Keep the table of contents also pulled out so that we can hop back and forth and find things that we need to find quickly and um, so that you can keep up. Some of these verses will be on the screen. Some of them will not. And um, so that's going to be fun for you to try to uh, you go from one to the other. Let's look to God word of prayer and we'll dive into these four key passages. Dear God in heaven, we thank you so much for loving us the way you do. We thank you for allowing us to, uh, to watch the little kids sing this morning and then, God, to sing ourselves and, and praise you and lift you up in that way. God, also, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we had to commune and partake of the Lord's Supper and uh, remember what you did for us and all that you got accomplished here on this earth. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be together today, for giving us a place to meet. And um, God, please help us today as we look at this, uh, this attitude, this life-changing attitude of humility. I hope it to be something that we can apply to our lives and have a changed perspective and have a a transformed perspective of what this word really means and what this trait really, how it plays out in our lives. Please bless us this morning as we do these things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. It's funny, we've landed in Philippians quite often in this series. Uh, We talked about contentment. We landed in Philippians. We talked about... uh, Uh, Let's see, what was the other one? Financial security, we ended up up in Philippians. And uh, we're going to go to Philippians again this morning. Philippians chapter 2 this time. We're going to look at verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Okay, so it's sort of like, don't be selfish and don't impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look, not, don't look at your own interests, but also consider the interests of others. It's kind of like opposites there, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, but though, though he was, and, and verse 5 is a key ingredient here, it tells you kind of what to do, and then it kind of tells you why to do it. In verse 5, it says, You must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus had. Uh, why should we not have... Uh, you know, try to avoid selfishness and try to avoid impressing others because that's what Christ Jesus did. Look at verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a, born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. saying sang a song this morning about every knee will bow. Humbled himself in obedience to God and died as a criminal on the cross and every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every what? Tongue declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. We also sing that song. Every tongue, every tongue, every tongue will then confess him. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's humble, yet God elevated him to a mighty place. And it was because of his humility that God did elevate him. All right, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 20 is the next passage we want to look at. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25 says Jesus called them together and he says you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them not so with you look at what Jesus says he says instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many if you want to make it to the top and you want to stay there, if you want to elevate yourself, if you want to climb the corporate ladder, if you want to be great in God's eyes, if you want to be great in everyone else's eyes, what do we need to do? This verse says we need to lower ourselves. We need to get under and start serving those that were around. And this, this isn't a verse for all Christians. It's not. This is only a verse for Christians who want to be great. If you want to be great... We need to learn to be a servant. All right, number three. John chapter 13. We find a, a story in John chapter 13 about what? What do we find in John chapter 13? You got your Bibles open? What story do we find in John chapter 13? We find Jesus displaying his humility in what? <coughs> in washing the disciples' feet. Okay? So we have the whole story. And I want to, support, I want to point out... Uh, uh, just a piece of this, and uh, I think this is a very key ingredient to um, Jesus' service. Jesus knew, In verse, starting in verse 3, it says Jesus knew. He knew something. His humility came from something He knew. What did He know? That the Father had put all things under His power. What kind of confidence would you have if all things were put under His power? Your power. Some confidence there, right? But also it brings humility. Jesus knew that he had put all things under his power. And what's the second thing he knew? That he had come from God. God directly had a reason for him to be there at that particular time, in that particular place. God had come, or God had sent him. And what's the third thing? That he was returning to God. Those three things Jesus knew. And what did... Jesus do because he knew those three things. What's the first part of verse four say? So he got up. Why did Jesus get up? Because he knew those three things. He knew that he had, had that Jesus, that God the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. Therefore, He got up, wrapped his outer garment around him, wrapped a towel around his waist, and began washing the disciples' feet. Ah, washing feet, that doesn't sound too bad. We have modern things around these parts. We have modern things called running water, we have toilets, we have a sewer system. These men had been walking around in the streets. And their sewer system—I don't know if you've been in any third-world countries lately—but the sewer systems are literally in the streets. They run down the middle of the streets. We were in Jamaica just the other day, and we went in to get some. We were in heart. We were in not the pretty whatever resort places. We were in uh, Kingston. Uh, Jamaica. Was it Kingston? No, it wasn't Kingston. It was in Mineral Heights. It was in Mineral Heights. And we were, we were riding with, uh, with the preacher there and we drove up and we were going to get some jerk chicken. Like, ah, that sounds good. some jerk chicken. And so we drove up and we parked in front, of the, in front of the place and we started to walk in and we had to walk across this little bridge. And it was really strange, It's like, why would there be a bridge in the middle of the road? Well, it's because there was a ditch along the side of the, right in front of the, all the restaurants, right in front of all the stores, there was a ditch, I'm like, that's weird, why is there a ditch in the middle of the road? It's because that's where the sewer goes. All of the sewer and all of the junk ends up right there in that ditch, and it runs down the middle of the street out to who knows where it goes. But these men were walking around In very similar situations to that, with sandals on. (laughs) And Jesus knelt down to wash their feet. He got up because he knew those three things. He went into action because of those three things. All right, number four, let's look at this passage. This is our fourth passage Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 28. Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 28. It says, Love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love his throne is made secure. If you want to be great, if you want to be on top, if you are on top and you want to stay there, what's what's required? Love and faithfulness. Love. A leader who puts others' interests before their own. You remember the story of Rehoboam? He had just taken over, and this, this the guy who wrote Proverbs, he had just taken over for his dad and he began to run the kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam had advisors, he had the Yodas come, <laughs> for, for all of you, Star Trek, not Star Trek, oh man, I just totally, I blew it, didn't I? Totally blew it. Star Wars people, the Yodas. He had the Yodas come in, and they the older guys that had advised advised Solomon in his reign. He had them come in and say, Well, what what do you think I should do? How do you think I should run the country? And they said, You should relax the tax. And you should give them more comforts and allow them to function a little bit differently than than your dad has. Your dad has run us run us around all over the place and he's made a great kingdom for himself but it's been hard on all of us. Relax and let, let it down. And then what do he do? Then he called in his posse. He called in the young punk kids to, to come in and give him the this, this, he asked them the same question. How do you think I should run the country? What do you think I should do? And what do the young punk kids say? They say you should take what your dad did and make it even more intense. You should raise the tax. You should, you should make everything that he did doubly more difficult. And guess what Rehoboam did? He followed the young punks. At that point in Israel's history, the kingdom was divided. Twelve, or rather ten tribes of Israel moved, left said, if that's the way you're going to be, we're out of here. And they went and did, did their own thing. A leader who puts others' interests before their own, that's love. And faithfulness. Faithfulness is sort of sort of a stained glass version of, of dependable. Dependable love. Love dependably. Why is God considered faithful? Because he always does what he says. He's dependable. If we want to stay on top, we need to love dependably. Those are our four passages of scripture. Those are the that's the that's the meat of our of our lesson this morning. Now let's apply it. A few things on your uh, on your bulletin or on your note sheet there, and uh, we're just going to fly through those and um, kind of get these down to where we live. Humility, Now we're going to we're going to try to look at it as you know this is what this is what it's not this is what it is, and um, try to understand it better from from the scriptures. Humility is not a lack of 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 confidence or a low opinion of yourself do you think Jesus lacked confidence how many of you think Jesus lacked confidence no he didn't why because he knew those things right we just looked at it how about this one do you think Jesus had a low opinion of himself no I don't think so either look at it Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29 he says take my yoke upon you let me teach you because what I am humble he says he's humble well was he yeah he was But look at 419, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And Jesus called out to them, he says, come follow me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to guys that have have full jobs, have, have full careers going on. And he says, you know what, drop everything you're doing and come follow me. Is that humble? Yeah, it was. John chapter 10, look at verse 30. It says, the Father and I... Are A <laughs> little confidence there, right? Jesus is claiming to be God. The Father and I are one. There's a little confidence there. Definitely not a low opinion of himself. Humility is not lack of confidence and a low opinion of oneself. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. said it pretty simply but he said it very boldly the word humility has been taken out of context it's been given a bogus meaning humility from the English language if you google it look up from different, different uh, uh, websites and different uh, uh, dictionaries uh, it, it gives you an idea of how badly the English language has messed up this word humble I looked it up and here's what I found low in rank low in importance, low in status or quality, feeling of insignificance, inferiority, and subservience. Do you think Jesus walked around with a feeling of insignificance? He didn't. But he was the definition of humble. It's not a lack of self-confidence. It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not thinking lowly of yourself, and having a low opinion of yourself. That's not humility. C.S. Lewis, a phenomenal. I call him, a lot of people call him a British brain on a stick. In the book entitled The Screwtape Litters, the senior demon is communicating with a junior demon about a guy that they're trying to mess up. And he says this. He says, by this method, thousands of humans have been brought to think that humility means Pretty women trying to believe that they are ugly and clever men trying to believe that they are fools. Another place, C.S. Lewis writes, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. It's a pretty good quote. You should put that on Facebook. You should tweet that out, you know, right now. Not me, C.S. Lewis. We're trying to run from pride. We're trying to get away from this thing called pride because we know God doesn't like pride, right? But what's funny is we get hung up on the word's definition, the world's definition of humility. What kind of pride does God have a problem with? God has a problem with two, two different kinds of things when it comes to pride. God doesn't have a problem with being proud uh, of what, we've, what we get accomplished. God doesn't have a problem with, with you enjoying your work. God has a problem with the pride of self-righteousness. Self-righteous pride says, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. God doesn't like it. And God has a problem with pride that looks down on others. When we elevate ourselves to the point that we look down on others and say, oh, so those people are, they're just just bad. God doesn't like that either. But it's okay to enjoy your stuff. There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying what God has blessed you with, enjoying what you have from God, because you know good and well that everything you have is from God. I know there's people in this room that have come from what the world says humble means or humble situation and have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and made it to where they are today, done phenomenal things. It's taken amazing motivation and, and, and drive, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand that no matter where you are in your quest for greatness, everything that got you there came from God. Your desire, your drive, everything that, everything that you've done is from Him. We've got to give him the credit. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has blessed you with. Even in parenting, we need to help our children figure out what they're good at. If they walk in a classroom full of kids their age, it's good for them to have something that they can say, I can do this better than just about anybody in this classroom. Well, that's just proud. That's just, that's proud. No, it's not. And here's why, because when, when a parent instills within the child the confidence and the security and the, the ability to cultivate what God has blessed them with, the talent that God has given them, they have the boldness, they have the security, they have the confidence to also look at everything else that they're not good at and say, you know what, but I'm really bad at that and that and that and that, but I'm not worried about it because I am good at something. And I have I can take confidence in that. Because out of that strength and confidence comes humility. The ability not to be good at other things that the other kids are good at. You don't have to be the best at everything, but know what you can and can't do. Makes me angry. Society's going to the, to the place where every kid's a winner. If a kid's no good at something, don't lie to him and say he's good at it. That's a seed of what the Bible calls vain conceit. They think they're good at everything. They think they're on top of the world with everything. That's not what we're here for. That's not what we're about. Humility is not a lack of confidence or a low opinion of yourself. Secondly, biblical humility is, is simply... The opposite of selfishness and what we just mentioned, vain conceit. This is actually quite simple. Figure out what the selfish thing would be to do and do the opposite. Pretty straightforward, right? What would the most selfish thing for me to do right this moment? Think about it. What would it be? And then do the opposite. It's going to keep you out of trouble. It's going to keep you humble. What would someone with hollow and empty and vain conceit do? do the opposite. Pretty straightforward. Selfishness, uh, you know, is really just that disease of uh, the center of the universe. It's called the center of the universe disease where people just think that the universe revolves around them. Do you know anybody like that? To have the center of the universe disease? Humility is saying, if I wasn't the center of the universe, what kind of life would that be? If I wasn't the center of the universe, what would it look like? That's the lifestyle you want to live. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we read it earlier. It says, when you do these things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourselves. Do not be interested in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Empty conceit. It's thinking you're better than any of them. But I want you to understand, it's not bragging if you can do it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has has given you. It's not bragging if you can really do it. You know what, if I could run up Long's Peak and back down in four hours, and I went out there and said, you know what, I can run up Long's Peak and back down in four hours, would I be bragging? No. Just stating the facts. So that's what I could do. What happens is when we start bragging is when we start elevating ourselves, start looking down on others, start thinking we're better than them, that's when it becomes a problem. Selfishness is pretty natural. We don't have to have a class in preschool that teaches our kids how to be selfish. They learn it pretty naturally. We have to starve this selfishness. We have to feed humility and starve selfishness found myself at a potluck dinner once. Fellowship dinner, whatever you want to call it. I think it's funny that there's the word luck in the term potluck because there is. You know it. You know as well as I do that there's only a few things that are worth having, right? And those few things that are worth having oftentimes are, actually all the time, are better warm than they are cold, right? There's some things actually that once they get cooled off, are probably not even suitable for human consumption. Edible, maybe, but probably not suitable for for human consumption. So I made my way to the front of the line. I didn't push anybody out of the way. I didn't, you know, cut in line. I didn't yank somebody out of the line to get there. I just made it to the front of the line because I saw some things there that, you know, I wanted to eat and I wanted to eat them warm. So I got some good stuff, sat down to eat, and after I finished eating, I had a guy come up to me, <clears throat> and he was really upset and he kind of ripped me apart he said that that's wrong that's, yeah. he, he really wasn't fair about it but there was a seed of truth to what he said so if you ever watch Lloyd eats last I wait till the end of the line when everybody else has gone through the line then you'll see me trying to go over there and find something that's left that's somewhat warm, that's somewhat capable of, you know, human consumption. It's a discipline that I've taken on. I don't stand around and look at all of those that end up in the front of the line and say, I'm better than you because, no, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm telling you. It's one little discipline that I do in my life because I know what the selfish thing for me to do, and so I do the opposite. It's like trying to get out of a, a full stadium, and uh, Greg and Natalie and, and Mom and Dad went to the, the Bronco game the other night. Getting out of the Vesco Field in Mile High oftentimes is a challenge, and there's times when you are stuck behind rows of traffic. I always try to make a habit of letting two or three cars in front of me that don't deserve to go in front of me. Just go ahead and just let them in. Once again, it's one of those little disciplines that I look at my life and say, you know what? The selfish thing for me to do is just stay right on the bumper of the guy in front of me and don't let anybody in. But it's one little discipline that I've tried to grab grab a hold of that kicks selfishness out of my life. Now, I'm not telling you to all of you do these things because if somebody doesn't go first in line, all the food is cold, right? And if you sit and wait till everybody is out of the parking lot at an field, somebody behind you is going to get out of their car and beat the snot right out of you. You can't, you know, somebody has to go. So everybody can't have all of these same disciplines. But what, what I want you to understand is that as selfishness tries to creep in, Try to kick it out. Starve it. Make it something that is not part of your life. And that allows humility to come in. Just because I have this one discipline doesn't mean that it's right for everyone else. Little disciplines in life build humility. Look for those little disciplines that you can build into your life and starve selfishness. Humility is simple. It's opposite of selfishness and vain conceit. Number three, biblical humility is something we do, not something we feel. Let me explain. It's not feeling like, oh, I'm nothing. It's acting like you're nothing. It's not feeling like you're nothing. It's acting like you're nothing. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, and when he was Living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God even when that caused his death, the death on the cross. He wasn't thinking he was humble. He was being humble. Okay? Humility is an action, not a feeling. Matthew 26, he goes to prayer. He goes a little further. He falls on his face to the ground and he prays, Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me, yet not what I will, what you will. Humility is action. It's not feeling. What Jesus Christ wanted was that cup to be taken from him. He didn't want to go through with it. That's the way he felt. But what did he do? Totally different story. Think about this word picture. What happens when it's, when it's your birthday? What takes place in your house when one of your children is having a birthday? I know when we get older, we try to tend to forget birthdays. When the kids have a birthday, what's what's the scenario? They are viewed as what? The guest of honor, right? How do you treat the guest of honor? How do you treat the birthday boy, the birthday girl? You try to get them what they want, right? You try to serve them. You try to give them the best. Try to allow them to have the best seat. You, have, you allow them to pick what's for dinner. You allow them to pick where, maybe where you're going to go to get dinner. Okay? It's a guest of honor kind of scenario. It's the kind of paradigm that we need to have. What would happen in our relationships if we treated the other like they were the guest of honor all the time? What would happen in your marriage if you treated your husband, your spouse, your wife like they were the guest of honor all the time? What would take place at the job site if everyone that you worked with was the guest of honor at the job site, at the workplace? What would take place at school if everyone in your class, you treated them like they were the guest of honor when it was time to go out for recess, you weren't the first one to the door. You allowed them to go first. Guest of honor. Think about this one too. I, back in the day, I worked at a place called Home Depot. And many of you have been, how many of you worked retail once in your life? Anybody? Okay. The customer is always right. Right? That's, that's what you say and that's what you do. But that's not what you feel all the time, right? There is some customers out there that are pff, scary. Very scary. It's kinda like at Chick-fil-A, right Billy? My, my pleasure, what's the phrase you say? My pleasure. It's my pleasure. It would be my pleasure. What if we took that, that paradigm, that idea, and applied it in our relationships. Treat your wife like she's the customer. Treat your husband like he's the customer. The customer is always right. Even if you don't feel it, you do it, right? That's the difference in humility. That's what humility really is. It's doing it. You're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to feel humble. You're not always going to act, I'm just humble. I'm just the, the servant that walks around. It's not that. It's doing it. It's following through with those things that you know are humble. You know show humility. It's pretty funny. We can treat the customer always right for a paycheck. But when it comes to our relationships with God and our relationships with others, oftentimes we have a hard time following through with this concept of treating others better than ourselves. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. (laughs) Humility is something we do, not something we feel. Humility is an action. Fourth, biblical humility flows from our strength and security. John 13, verse 3, we read it just a few minutes ago. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and that He was returning to God. Then what did He do? He got up. He followed through with what humility looks like because He had the knowledge behind it that He knew that he had security and strength to get that job accomplished. When I know who I am in Christ, when I understand my worth, remember, your value is somewhat, what someone is willing to pay for you. That's your value. When I know what my value is, when I realize how valuable I am, humility is quite easy. We don't have to fight for the best. We don't have to fight for first place. We are first place. We've been given everything that God wants us to have. It should be easy to follow through with what humility looks like. It's the insecure people of the world who always insist on being treated properly. It's not the secure ones demanding their rights. Secure people... Find strength and security in Christ. And then it's very simple to follow through with humility. Humility flows out of strength and security. And lastly, legends. Humbly serve those below, those above, and those all around them. Those who are on top and want to stay on the top are going to continue to serve those below them, continue to serve those above them, and continue to serve all of those around them. That's what legends are made out of. If you want to be a legend in God's eyes, humbly serve all. Proverbs 20, 28, we talked about it. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. Dependable love. James 4, 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. God will and it always works when He does. When God lifts you up, it always works. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. There are two approaches to getting to the top. One is you fill the bay with water, and as everyone else's boat rises, your boat rises also. Okay? That's one way. The other approach is King of the Hill. You ever played King of the Hill? King of the Mountain? You ever played that game? There's a pile of dirt in the backyard and you play King of the Mountain and all the little kids come running. What's funny is everybody that's, while you're on your way up, everybody is on your side. You're all working together to get to the top, right? But once you're on top, it's a different story. Everybody turns against you. There's two approaches to getting to the top and you you have a choice of which one you want to be. If you lead out of fear, control, and position, the moment you are weak, people will turn on you. That's the king of the hillway. Get to the top with whatever, you, however you can, and once you're there, beware, because they're all going to start shooting at you. But if you lead out of humility, the moment you are weak, people will come and help and be there for you. Humility is the archaic avenue to accomplish anything that God wants us to accomplish. It's been sort of a forgotten pathway. It's been sort of something that has been set aside because it's not popular. I want to tell you something. If you can learn to serve, it will really establish greatness in your life. Humility establishes greatness in your life. If you want to be great, learn to serve. That's what humility is all about. Thank you for your attention this morning. I hope there's been a few things that we've been able to share that has uh, blessed your life. and uh, Hopefully I